God cares deeply about our attitude. And the truth is that often our attitude could use some adjustment. Even in the best of circumstances, a good attitude does not come naturally. But we can replace complaining with thanksgiving, covetousness with contentment, criticism with love, and adjust our attitudes to honor Him. In this study, Lord, change my attitude based on the Israelites' life in the wilderness. We will learn how our attitudes can keep us in the wilderness or allow us to enjoy the blessings of the promised land. Lord, change my attitude. Lord, change my attitude. Lord, would you please change my attitude? Oh, God, would you please change my attitude? Have you ever been in one of those moments where it's been the just the, God, change my attitude. I don't want to think this way anymore. Or that moment when you just cried out when there seemed like no possible way. Lord, change my attitude. I think a byproduct of this sermon series for me has been that my attitude absolutely matters to God. You say, oh, it's just my attitude. What's it got to, what's, what's the big deal? Well, it was a big enough deal that in Numbers chapter 14, 26 to 29, that God looked at an entire generation of people and said, you will not inherit the promise that I made to you because of your attitude. One of those attitudes was just complaining. Boy, don't you love to complain? I mean, let's, let's be honest. I can go down the road and, and leave somewhere, and for the next little while I can say, boy, if they'd have done this, and boy, they'd have done that, and if it had just been just a little bit different, it would have been something or else, and just complaining. Oh, criticizing, I like that one. Coveting. Man, I saw Coach Eric ride up in his truck today, and I was like, man, I like that truck. Especially when he rides up on that motorcycle, I ain't going to lie to you. I'm like, if I just had one of those, Lord. Yeah. And we keep on going. And, and it's so easy for us to get caught up there. And Satan, he's so crafty that he will cause us to doubt. Another attitude. Does he really love me? Is his way really the best for me? If I trust you, God, and I give it all to you, is it really... Are you really for me? And Satan can just get us off track. And then ultimately, if we choose us over him, the result is rebellion. And actually, that's the attitude we're going to look at today. It's the last attitude. I believe it's the attitude that causes the anger of the Lord to burn against us the most. Is when we finally look and say, yep, God, I hear you. But I got another plan, and I'm going to go my route. In fact, Numbers chapter 16, 
I don't typically do this, but we're going to read the whole chapter, not at once, but we're going to get all of it because I think what God is saying here is so much more than I can say. So I'm going to begin in one. He says, now Korah, the sons of Hishar. By the way, Korah means bald ones. Just one of those little things you ought to know. So if you could just picture Korah with a bald head, whose daddy is Izar, the son of Koath, the son of Levi. Now, who are the Levites? They lead in worship and praise, right? So now we're beginning to understand who's talking. It's a, it's a descendant of Levi who were in charge of worship and these people. So let's go. The sons of Levi with Dathan and Abiram. So Korah has had a little meeting. And in his little meeting, he wound up with some people who he convinced to go with him. They happened to have the name of Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. Oh, so now that little group has grown from one to two to some. And we're going to find out how many in a minute. And they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel. How many? 250 leaders of the congregation. Representatives of the congregation. Men of renown. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron. Now don't you think they would have already learned that going up against Moses and Aaron is not a good choice? Moses' sister got leprosy because she went up against Aaron and Moses. She had to sit outside the camp and hold the whole group back. So we learn, but sometimes we learn slowly. They gathered together and said to them, You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy. You like how they couch that? Oh, Moses, you're working just a little too hard. Moses, you're doing too much. Aaron. So they make it kind of sound like they're concerned about him. But then they throw it in there and they say what? Oh, the whole congregation's holy. In other words, the same question that Miriam asked, the sister asked, Aaron asked, <laughs> is why does God only speak to you? Why is God only working through you? Why can't we all be there? There's a little bit of a jealousy thing going on now. We already know these people were leaders. We know that they were part of the worship and the leading of the congregation. We know that they had position because it says they were men of renown. So it wasn't that they were lacking, that they were just cast off on the side and nobody knew them. It's just that they began to want more than God ascribed. It says... You take too much upon yourselves. For the, all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? So when Moses heard it, he fell on his face and he spoke to Korah and all his company. So that's 250 plus. Saying, tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will cause him to come near to him. 
those hymns there. Him is the man. He's going to cause the man to come near to him is God. So whoever's holy, God's going to draw him close. Do this. Take censers. Everybody know what a censer is? All right, a censer is a, a pan on a pole for carrying hot coals from one place to another place so you don't get burned and then the smoke from it was part of worship. So that's what it is. So he says, go get your pan on a pole and tomorrow bring it with you because God's going to do something. So it's kind of like the picture in the Old West. They're walking down the street. You know what I'm talking about? And everybody's like this. Except they don't have guns. they got poles and pans. And God's going to shoot the bullet. So here we go. Korah and all your company, put fire in them and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses is the Holy One. You take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. Ooh, Moses got an attitude. I mean, he said, let me throw it back at you. Then Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. And I just think that there's probably a little bit of attitude in this. Is it a small thing to you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to serve them? Do you know what he just said? He said... Do you count it a small thing that God has set you apart to be the one that takes care of the tabernacle? Do you take it as a small thing that God has appointed you to be the one that stands in front of the people and to speak to them, to make atonement for their sins? And you have got all of this and you're telling me that that is not enough? You want something more? Now listen to me. Had they got that, they would have wanted something else. I don't know if you've ever noticed that in you, but I'm going to tell you what I can notice in me sometimes. I can notice that if there's this thing out there, it's like the dangling fruit, and when I finally grab it, all of a sudden that's not enough, and I become quickly discontent with that, and I want something else. And that's kind of what's going on here. And what is it, Aaron? That you complain against, and what is Aaron that you complain against him? Therefore, verse 11, therefore you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. And what is Aaron that you complain against him? And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, but they said, We will not come up. It is, a, is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey? To kill us with, in the wilderness and that you should keep acting like a prince over us. Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. So what's the attitude here? It's rebellion. You hear it? It's an attitude of we will not stomp your foot, sit down in the middle of the grocery store aisle and pitch a temper tantrum kind of moment. That's what we have here. And so as we begin to dissect this passage of Scripture, let's begin with this in the outline. It says, 
Rebellion is a serious matter to God. You say, okay, you just talked to me, I just see rebellion. But why do you think it's a serious matter? Well, 1 Samuel 15, 23 says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Rebellion, the sin of witchcraft. Now that's the worshiping of the demonic, right? So now all of a sudden God's given me an attitude and he says that that attitude is equivalent to that. Now it takes on a different light because we better begin to understand it. Romans 13.1 says this. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So let's just talk a minute. What are some of the authorities that God has set up in our lives? Government, okay. Parents. Somebody say police. Police, okay. Yeah. Any others? What are some authorities that are set up? If you're in school, who is an authority over you? Teachers, yes. Those are an authority and you say, oh, but God has ordained that moment. God has allowed that person to be in your life. And he says that every one of them. Now, some of them are authorities for blessing, okay. Some of them are authorities for judgment. But no matter who they are and how they got there, it says that they are there and exist and are appointed by God. If they're an authority for blessing, then we need to work and support and walk with them. If they're an authority for judgment, then we need to say, Dear God, show me what it is in my life that you are wanting to correct. What is it in me that you want to bring about? That's why in Scripture it would say to pray for all of those in authority over you. Because they live at a higher level of expectation from God. They live with a greater force of temptation from Satan. And God says, I want you to pray for them. Now we know that's not easy. Because you're at a job and your boss seems to never recognize what you do. And they seem to give all the recognition to somebody else. Or somebody else gets the kudos and you get the crud. And you want to go, that's not fair. May not be fair, but as a believer under the authority and the umbrella of God, God says for you to pray for those in authority over you. That's what we have to do. Now, when I begin to pray for them, when I begin to pray for the authorities over me, I'm not aligning myself with the authority. I'm aligning myself with God. And he says, if you will seek me, you will find me. And if you seek me first, then all these things are added unto you. Guys, that is such a huge deal in our nation, in our community, in where we exist right now. It's aligning myself with God's plan. It's not doubting Him. It's saying, God, you're enough. And if this is in my life, you're allowing it. And so, God, I'm going to trust you because you tell me that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. Rebellion is a serious matter 
to God. And I think what we've seen from these children of Israel is that it is not a very long journey from an attitude of gratitude to a heart of rebellion. 300 miles. 16 months. 12 months spent at Mount Sinai. One week spent while Moses' sister was in her period of cleansing. So a journey of less than four months. They went from, look how God has set us free, to a sin that God would equate with witchcraft. Attitude matters to God. Moses was about 80 years old at this time. He was entering that third 40-year period of his life. You remember Moses' life, right? Zero to 40, he was a Hebrew raised as a, an Egyptian. At the age of 40, he looked around and saw all the things that were happening to his um, kinsmen. He didn't like it, so he struck the Egyptian slave master and it killed him. He had to flee. When he fled, he was in the, will, um, in the desert with his father-in-law for 40 years. God was working in his life, preparing him for this moment. And at 80 years old, God said, now I want you to go back and get my people and I want you to lead them out of bondage and I want you to lead them to the promised land. That's where he is. Moses has stood the test. Moses has paid the price. Moses has been appointed by God to be the leader. And he is worthy of the respect of the people that God has said, I want you to lead. And the people have a responsibility to follow him, to pray for him. These people are angry. They began to rebel. They have questioned God's goodness and God's mercy for them. But I want to tell you something. This is not just these children of Israel. Rebellion exists in every human heart. Every one of us. We got it at the point of birth because we were born with a sin nature. And a sin nature rebels against God. It looks and says that God's way is not the best way, so we're going to do it my way. Rebellion exists in every human heart. Rebellion is not knowing, is knowing, but not doing what God wants you to do. Rebellion is knowing, but not doing what God wants you to do. Rebellion is not trying and failing. Rebellion is willful disobedience against the plan and the way and the will of God. Very rarely do we slide into sin. Sin is not an oops moment. Sin begins as a thought. Sin goes from being a thought to something that we dwell on. Sin then shifts to something we fantasize about. It goes from thinking to dwelling to fantasizing to looking for opportunity to ultimately falling. And it's a choice. Now, it may be a quick choice in that we say, woo, let's grab it. Or it may be a long period and process of time. But that is where it is. And, and we find it here And rebellion is willful disobedience. It's knowing what to do and deciding not to do 
that very thing. Now, ultimately, at the heart of rebellion is the goodness of God and His plan. It's believing that my way is better than His way. It's believing that what I want is greater than what He desires for me. Rebellion, it exists in every single human heart. Rebellion, I said, is knowing but not doing what God wants us to do. I guess we could look at the book of Genesis. In the early stages there where Adam and Eve are hanging out in the garden. And God has looked at them and said, here's this whole garden. So I want everybody to stand up. If you are able, physically able, stand up please. All right, now, everybody but Lindsay. Stop right there. Don't move. Everybody, now, look around. You can have everything in this garden. Y'all are the Garden of Eden, okay? Look, right here. All of y'all are the Garden of Eden. Now, God said you can have everything in this garden but one thing. Everybody else, sit down. There's this one tree... That happens to be standing in the garden. So all this other stuff you can have, but that one thing you can't have. Adam and Eve, you can can run now. (laughs) Adam and Eve looked around and said, man, that's a lot of stuff out there. I believe that would be okay and that would be okay. But you know what? God said I could have that. What's the fun there? I think I'd rather go to that thing that God said I couldn't have. Now, how did that happen? Because Satan was tempting And God had an amazing plan, and they looked and said, you know what? Our way's better. And their way led to to death physically. Their way led to death spiritually. And ultimately to the infection and condemnation of all of humanity. So every one of us are born with a rebellious heart. Rebellion, again, it's not trying and failing. Rebellion is a tight-lipped, I will not do it. So what are six sources from our passage of Scripture? What are six sources of rebellion? Let's just walk through them kind of systematically here. Let's go to first verse 3. In verse 3 it says to us, They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. So why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? There's jealousy there. You might even put in parentheses out there, not just jealousy, but coveting. They do not like, they are not satisfied with the position that God gave them, so they're jealous of another's position. Well, let me tell you something. If you ever become jealous of another person's position, you might want to do a full examination of what that person has to go through and that person has to walk through. Because oftentimes what you see is only the the gold and the glitter of it. You don't see the the behind-the-scenes work or the things that you have to deal with. People walk into a classroom and say, man, I want to be a teacher. Uh Uh-uh, come on. We know what we're talking about, don't we? 
Because all they get to see is you standing in front of a bunch of kids going, one plus one equals, and the class all together says, man, I sure wish I could shape the youth of tomorrow. But they don't know that we got to go home and grade those papers, write those lesson plans, deal with those parents that think little Johnny and little Susie are never do anything wrong. No, that's right. Go figure. They don't know that we have to go to meetings, and they don't know, and they don't know, and they don't know. All they see is one plus one equals two. So before you become jealous, you want to count the cost. They don't see that Moses has been falling on his knees in between them and God and causing and and holding back the wrath of God. Moses did not do that without stress. Moses did not do that without anxiety. Moses did not do that without being prepared and trained. He spent 40 years, 80 years of his life, first 40 learning what an Egyptian was, the next 40 learning what it was to be a man who could hear from God because ultimately when he called him in Exodus chapter 3 verse 16 and he saw the bush burning but not being consumed and Moses went bebopping up there and God said, Whoa! You better take off your shoes because where you're standing is holy ground. Moses had to be trained to be a leader. Moses paid the price. Jealousy and what these men have done, what this man did and brought others with him was organized conspiracy brought together by someone. Don't be that someone. Don't be that someone. That's why at Mount Zion we say all the time, look, we want to be accountable. We want you to ask us questions, but do us a favor. Come to us. Let's talk about it. If it doesn't bring satisfaction in a one-on-one conversation, then let's go get somebody and bring them with us and let's talk about it. And let's work through it. And all of this, all of this thing was built on half-truths. Another source of rebellion, delusions. Let's keep reading. Let's get down to verse 5. I'll start in 4. So when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. And he spoke to Korah, all his company, saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is holy and who is his and who is holy and will cause him to come near to him. That one whom he chooses he will kill will cause to come near to him. Do this. Take censers, Korah, and all your company. Put fire in them and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses is the Holy One. You take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. Sons of Levi, that's sarcasm. Amazed how others desire. Truth and time march hand in hand, one man said. I think about my journey to ministry. And Gil and I left Georgia, headed to Texas. And there were some delusions there. 
we thought that we would get out there and news would have preceded us and the churches of Fort Worth would be lined up at the entrance of the city limits with their signs up going, pick our church, we want you to come and minister here. Be our pastor because surely you're the best thing that ever drove into... Now, this wasn't where Gail was, by the way. Gail was much more holy than that. She was like, Lord, provide for our family. I'm like, no, all the churches are going to be lined up. They're going to hear we're moving into town, and they're going to just fire whoever works there and say, we want you. Well, let me tell you. We got to the city limits, and nobody was lined up. I went to the places to apply for jobs, and they said, they're all full. And finally, this one church said, we'd like to hire you. And they said, you can start cleaning the bathrooms on Monday. What? I've got this call of God on my life. I have this college degree. And surely you don't mean that. No, they meant it. They had a lot of bathrooms too. But can I tell you something? That is one of the best things that God ever did for me. It really was. Because you began to learn what others have to deal with. You began to see what it takes to operate a church. You began to understand the cost of what people do week in and week out to make ministry happen. So, what is a source of rebellion? Jealousy, delusion. I'm worth more. I should have more. Or, this is mine and you shouldn't have it so I ought to have it. No, God, you have told me. You will grant me the desires of my heart if I will put you first, if I will seek you. Lord, help me to seek you and in you all of my needs are met. Ungratefulness. Let's drop down to verse 9. This is a small thing. We read that in in verse 9 and verse 10. And that he has brought you near to himself. All you brethren, the sons of Levi with you, are you seeking the priesthood also? Therefore you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. And what is Aaron that you complain against him? They're ungrateful for what God has done for them. They're ungrateful for the Aaron that God has placed in their life. Bless God for what he has given you. Thank God for what he's done for you. A lady named Ann Voskamp started a a movement on, on Facebook or internet where she would have a daily thank you. Let me encourage you, every day of your life, keep it however you keep up with things. Every day, write down, God, thank you that. And what did God do for you that day? Maybe you do it in the morning of the previous day, or maybe you do it just before you go to bed. But write down, God, thank you that you provided. God, thank you that you kept me safe. God, thank you that you woke me up. God, thank you that I'm not going to bed hungry. Thank you, God, that I'm going to bed undercover with a roof over my head. God, thank you for what you have done for me. And as you began to express your gratitude, all of a sudden, you began to see all that God has done for you, all the ways he's provided for you, all the ways he's protected you, all the ways that he's blessed your life. And you recognize he is a giver of good gifts. And he's given you exactly what you need in that moment. So let's keep looking at these causes of jealousy. It's not only, I mean, of rebellion. It's not just jealousy. It's not just delusions. It's not just ungratefulness. But look at verse 12. We also see that it's stubbornness. And Moses sent to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab. But they said, we will not come up. How many of you would agree 
that for your life, God's ways are the best ways. And would we agree with that? Would you agree with me that on most days, all of us look and say, I know it's good, but I ain't doing that, God. Yeah. That's stubbornness. That's rebellion. And God says an attitude of rebellion is destructive. Then there's disappointment. Leads to rebellion. Is it a small thing that you have, verse 13, that that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, that you should keep acting like a prince over us? Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? Will they... We will not come up. They were disappointed. They were disappointed in God's timing, God's timeline. They thought that they would be teleported from Egypt to the land flowing with milk and honey without any conflict. But let me tell you something. If you get that land of flowing with milk and honey and you have not had to work for it, appreciate it, to appreciate it, when you get there, you will take advantage of it and you will abuse it. But when God allows you in His mercy and grace to have to strive for something. I still mop bathrooms, by the way. I still cut grass. I still do all those things I did in that first job. But there's a whole different level of appreciation. I'm not disappointed now. There's days like, man, y'all do whatever. I'm going to cut grass. Yeah. God's timing is good timing. God's delays are good delays. When God puts heavenly sandpaper in our life and He works to smooth off an edge, that's a good thing. And the scripture does say, in everything give thanks. So Lord, in this moment, I'm telling you thank you. I'm also telling you, God, you can change it anytime you want to. But in this moment, you're working something in me. So I tell you, thank you. I thank you for my consequences. I thank you for my challenges. I thank you for my burdens. I thank you for my moments that are anxious. Because God, I know that if I will just seek you, that I will realize and see something more about you. My faith will will grow through this moment. My obedience can grow in this moment. But ultimately... It's not just jealousy and delusions and ungratefulness and stubbornness and disappointment. But then it becomes distrust. Will you put out the eyes of these men? Now here is Moses. Man, Moses has been working on their behalf. Moses has been striving for them. Moses has been doing, going before God and bearing the burdens and leading them. And yet when they get to this moment, they say, Oh, you're probably just going to poke our eyes out too. Never knowing that Moses had done all of these things on their behalf. So yes, there are some sources of rebellion. And yes, there are some things in our lives when we see them crop up. We need to go to God and say, whoa, God, here I am. Man, I'm a child of Israel in the wilderness. God, would you let this die in me? Because God did not get angry at the children of Israel because of their attitudes. God got angry at the children of Israel because they would not repent from the attitudes that sprung up. There is a big, 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 big difference. 
God gives us an, added, an opportunity to repent. He said over there in that Numbers 14, let's just look at it again so we, so we are not unclear. Numbers 14 verse 26. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? I've heard the complaints which the children of Israel make against me. Say to them, As I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. They did not repent. Ladies and gentlemen, the greatest task that we can have at times in our lives is not the song of praise that we sing, but the bowed head and heart of brokenness that says, God, your will over my will, your way over my way. God, I am sorry. I took control of the ship. And it does. God says, if you confess your sin, I'm faithful and just to forgive you. But not just forgive you, but to cleanse you. We still live in consequences. But even in the consequences, we are to give thanks. God, thank you that you didn't just take away this consequence because this consequence reminds me that I don't ever want to go back there. God, I'm going to give you this consequence. Here it is. It's an offering to you. God, here's the consequence. Now, Lord, would you use it to help me show others the way? To keep others from faltering so they don't have to bear this burden, this pain? Because what are some of the consequences of rebellion? Let's go back to our number 16. Let's go back to verse 15 of number 16. And it says, Moses was very angry. What do you think a very angry Moses would look like? You ever kind of get that picture? You ought to, I mean, these were real people. A very angry Moses. Now, I'll tell you what I think. And Teddy, it's Sandy's fault, sorry. Because I'd already thought. I think that Moses had a similar personality to Teddy's. A quiet personality. I do. So I don't think that there were a lot of extra words. I think when Moses spoke, he meant what he was going to say. So you picture somebody that normally is a quiet person, that when finally you have pushed them over the edge... My dad always said, be scared of those people. Yeah, he said, watch out for those folks. It's kind of that person that you would make fun of in school, and one day finally somebody just, they cause them to erupt, and you're like, whoa, sorry, won't do that again. Yeah. And it doesn't have to, it's not meaning that it's violent. I'm saying it can be righteous anger. It can be righteous indignation. It can be the very right emotion at the very right time. But these people had taken this man who said, Lord, I've not been eloquent neither recently nor in time past. Send whomever thou wilt. And he said, I tell you what, I'll send you a mouthpiece. His name is Aaron. And I believe if I've read this correctly, this is the most words that Moses has spoken in the entire study. They got him there. And he says he was very angry. And he said to the Lord, Do not respect their offering. 
Now, up until this point, what's Moses been praying? Lord, take my prayer. Put my prayer between them and the consequence. Lord, don't let your wrath fall over on them. Finally, he just says, I'm done. Lord, don't even respect the offering that they put. So, we just took up the offering a moment ago. And that plate was passed by you. And you put an offering over into there. Man, what if somebody stood up and said, Hey, Lord, don't even respect Russell's offering this morning because I know his heart. And it is not for you. He's acting. Man, I'd be like, get my dollar back. (laughs) Yes. But, I mean, that's where Moses is. And so what is the consequence of rebellion? It causes the leader to separate himself from the people that he has been appointed by God to lead. That's why in Scripture it would say, make their work easy. What's another consequence? Innocence is defiled. Go to verse 25. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Who are the wicked men? Korah, Abiram, Nathan. Dathan, I'm sorry. From these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. So let's just keep reading a while. So they got away from around the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents with their wives, their sons, and their little children. That's their grandchildren, by the way. And Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works. For I have not done them of my own will. If these men died naturally like all men or if they are visited by the commotion, common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. In other words, hey guys, all you people, if they die by natural causes or something that is common, then the Lord did not send me. But if they die another way, then you're going to know the Lord sent me. All right? So, and Moses said, by this you shall know, verse 29, if these men die naturally like all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing, and the earth opens its mouth, and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the pit. Now, y'all know where the pit is? Somebody say hell. Hell. Say it again, because we want to we know the, the dire consequence here. It's not just, oh, by the way, the earth opened up and they fell into something. No, they fell into the pit that we know to be hell. Who wants to go there? Not I, said the little red hen. That's what I'm talking about. So, here's where we are, man. This is like the duel. Remember I told you it was like the guns of the West marching in, and this is God versus Satan. And somebody's about to draw and somebody's going down. All right. So here they go. 
But if the Lord creates a new thing and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. You see, when you reject the leader, you don't just reject the leader. You reject the Lord. Now it came to pass as he finished speaking all these words that the ground split apart. Uh Uh-oh, new thing. Under them. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the men with Korah with all their goods. So they and all those with them went down alive into the pit. You think God don't like rebellion? Look at it. So they and all those with them went down. Then all of Israel who were around them fled at their cry. For they said, Let the, lest the earth swallow us up also. Causes a leader to separate. Innocence is defiled. Rebellion doesn't happen in a vacuum. Rebellion affects people. And there were some people that were innocent, that were caught up in the consequences. The guilty are condemned. So let's keep reading. And the fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Tell Eleazar the son of Aaron the priest to pick up the censers out of the blaze for they are holy and scattered the fire some distance away. The censers of these men who sinned Against their own souls. Let them be made into hammered plates. As a covering for the altar. Because they presented them. Before the Lord. Therefore they are holy. And they shall be assigned to the children of Israel. So Eleazar the priest. Took the bronze censers. Which those were burned. Which those who were burned up had presented. And they were hammered out as a covering on the altar. To be a memorial to the children of Israel. That no outsider. Who is not a descendant of Aaron should come near to, the, to offer incense before the Lord, that he not, might not become like Korah and his companions, just as the Lord had said to him through Moses. You would think that was the end of the story, right? You would think that people would have seen that and that people would have said, let's give our heart, our devotion, our allegiance to the one true God. But that's not what happens. There was an infection and that infection had begun to spread. Look at me with verse, look with me at verse 41. On the next day, after all that happened the previous day, all the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses Woo, and Aaron. Now surely by now we've learned that is not a good choice, right? saying, You have killed the people of the Lord. Now it happened when the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron that they turned toward the tabernacle of meeting, and suddenly the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of meeting, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces. They, Moses, Aaron, 
still contending for the people before the Lord. They fell on their faces. And so Moses said to Aaron, take a censer and put fire in it from the altar. Put incense on it and take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. Then Aaron took it as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the assembly. And already the plague had begun among the people. So he put in, put the, in the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living. So the plague was stopped. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700. Besides those who died in the Korah incidents. So Aaron returned to Moses at the door of the tabernacle a meeting for the plague had stopped. Lord, change my attitude. Lord, Kill the rebellious spirit within me. Lord, don't let innocence be defiled. Thus says the Lord. Father, we come now. Recognizing that you are righteous and just and holy. Recognizing that you alone are God. Recognizing that you put boundaries and authorities in our lives. Not to destroy us. But to guide us towards yourself. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more. To listen to messages and teaching from Pastor Chris, to contribute through online giving, please visit our website at w.